Welcome to Radio Free Culture from WFMU, where we examine issues at the intersection of digital media and the arts. My name is Cheyenne Homan, and in this episode we'll be talking with Ellen Duranso, a librarian at MIT, about copyright and fair use since it's Fair Use Week 2015. So my name is Ellen Duranso, and and thanks, by the way, for inviting me to uh, be on your show and raising this very important and interesting topic. Um, I work in the MIT libraries. It's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and, and that's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, it's a large research uh, university, and I work in the library. And so I'm very involved in copyright from that perspective. And my, my work is in the areas of copyright and um, scholarly publication and those domains. Yeah, so we're kind of doing this show because this coming week is Fair Use Week, <laughs> um, yeah. and you know librarians keep strange holidays. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was thinking it'd be good to reach out to you since copyright is sort of your area of expertise. I'm wondering how you became interested in copyright and fair use. So yeah, that is a very intriguing question. Um, I was certainly educated about fair use as a librarian, as all us librarians are. And I was always aware of its importance in this general way. But when I took on this role offering copyright support at MIT, I really developed a much keener interest in and a much deeper appreciation for fair use. Uh, that's because it became so evident through the questions from students and faculty that it's absolutely central. Fair use is absolutely central to being able to reuse other people's work. And so it's central to education, to research, to teaching to criticism and commentary and to innovation and creativity, all, all the things that are happening at a university. And so that's when I really started to take this deeper dive into copyright and fair use and learn more about the history of the statute, to learn about the big legal cases involved. And I became intellectually just very engaged with this ambiguous but also very powerful concept uh, in our law. Um, and I came to appreciate, too, in particular, how rare and flexible our notion in the U.S. of this idea of fair use is. Uh, there's, there are very few countries with a similarly open model allowing the use of other people's works. So uh, I guess you could say I've become a very avid fan and avid advocate of fair use. Yeah, so what's the definition of fair use and what does that really mean? I know that the Copyright Office issues this four-part sort of guide, rough guide to what it is, but um, I don't know if you want to delve into that at all or just sort of sure. explain in, in layman's terms what, what fair use is about. Yeah, so um, I think we are going to have to delve into those four parts maybe, maybe a little later in our conversation. But to say what fair use really is, I would think of it as an opening in the wall of copyright ownership that allows people who did not create a work to make use of it without having to ask permission from the person who did create it or who owns the copyright. So the reason that you need this opening, this fair use opening, is that copyright owners are given exclusive rights to their own work for a particular period of time. It happens to be a very long period of time these days. Uh, but from this very inception of copyright law, and copyright was written into our Constitution, 
the idea was to have an exclusive rights given to creators of works for a social good. The, the way it's phrased in the Constitution is to promote the progress of science and the useful arts. So from the very beginning, the idea was that we needed a balance between incentivizing people so they would create and giving them exclusive rights so that, for example, they would be the only ones who could sell their work and benefit by it, um, yet also be sure that those works could be used by other people. So fair use is essentially an exception to these exclusive rights that are given to copyright holders to take advantage of their own work. Um, and as you were asking there, you know, about what is actually fair use in the law, one of the best things about it is the entire section of copyright law, it's called Section 107, it addresses fair use in this one short paragraph that's followed by a list of four factors, as they're called. And it's written in language. You don't have to be a lawyer to get it. It says that people can make the use of other people's work under certain conditions for purposes like criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching. And then it lists these four factors that have to be considered when deciding if your particular use would be fair use. Um, I have a mnemonic I use to remember the four factors. I think about the pain of learning of copyright, uh, and I have to change the spelling of the word to P-A-N-E. But those letters represent the four factors listed in the statute. P is for the purpose of the use. A is for the amount of the work you're going to use. N is for the nature of the work, whether it's factual or more creative, as music would typically be. And then E is for the effect on the market. So it's really interesting to me. The statute was written so that each person is empowered to make their own fair use assessment about the plan they have for using someone else's work. There's nothing in this law that will tell you definitely whether a use is fair or not. So you have this obligation and a privilege of weighing the four factors together and deciding yourself. So there's really no one that can tell you for certain because there are no bright line rules in this statute. People try to make up the rules like, oh, you can use 10% of the work, but they do not exist in the law. They're made up to try to simplify the law because the law is ambiguous, but that ambiguity is really what makes it so flexible. Yeah, so we kind of talked about this already, but why do you think fair use is important? So I've come to see that fair use is really the lifeblood of a free society. It is an incredibly important part of our democracy. It's incredibly important to education, to innovation, uh, to creativity. So you try to imagine a society where if you wanted to quote someone in an editorial where you, where you were disagreeing with them, you had to get their permission first to use their words. You know, would you be successful? Maybe not. And then if they didn't give you the permission, how easy would it be to have a free press where you could really talk about things and have free speech? It would be very, very difficult or in case, some cases impossible. Um, and if you look at the arts and sciences, it's the imitation and building on existing works that's at the heart of creativity and innovation. So if artists and scientists had to have permission every time they wanted to build on someone else's work, creativity and innovation would really be stifled. And we look at education and scholarship. Without fair use, students would be very restricted in the works that they could use. For example, teachers couldn't necessarily make copies without payment or permission and might not be able to obtain permission or make that payment. At a place like MIT and in our culture at large, the advancement of a field of study 
really depends on being able to comment and critique on those who've come before and their works. So that to me is what really makes fair use so compelling and so important is that we really need it to have a free culture, to have a free society. Beyond scholarship and into sort of the more creative side of fair use, is there a conclusive answer on what is fair use of a piece of copyrighted music? Music copyright is extraordinarily complicated and is kind of in in, embattled position right now uh, with streaming and it hasn't adapted well to the digital environment. Yes, it is a it is a very disruptive technology to have the web and the digital universe come along and and many many sectors are trying to develop and advance their business models to work in this new environment. So and music has uh, layers of complexity with copyright as you pointed out related to the the performers, the the composers and the uh, recordings and so forth. Um, but uh, in the case of deciding whether there's a fair use of a piece of copyrighted music you can drill past all that and go back to the the pain of fair use as I was talking about it to use those four factors to make an assessment about whether your planned use of a piece of copyrighted music would be fair you'd have to for example look for the P for the purpose of what your use is the A the amount that you would use the nature of the work which with music would pretty much always be a creative work and then that E the effect on the market for the work of what you're doing so the P, uh, the very first factor, P for purpose, is one the courts have placed particular emphasis on. Courts have frequently found that uses are fair if the use is what they call transformative, when it, there's a new meaning created through your use, or a new purpose, or it's put in a new context. Um, so this point about transformativeness is relevant to the one of most, the most common uses people want to make of music. They want to synchronize a video to music. But this actually becomes one of the tougher fair use cases to make because many times simply using music to convey an emotional tone or for its appeal or popularity presents a, a weak fair use case. On the other hand, there's a famous Supreme Court case involving sampling of the song Oh Pretty Woman. This uh, case concluded that a parody of a song is fair use. You know, in parody, the song is being used in order to provide commentary or critique and it's directed at a new audience. So all of these things are transformative and this was upheld as a fair use. Some people will say, well, music stores allow customers to listen to 30 second music clips to decide about a purchase. So 30 seconds must be okay, that must be a fair use. But as we've been talking about, there are no numbers in the statute. As soon as someone starts to tell you, oh, you can use 25%, you can use 30 seconds, you know that they're misinformed about the fair use statute. So this is kind of a long-winded way of saying there isn't a single simple answer to what would be fair use of copyrighted music. But if you go to the four fair use factors, you have your hands on the tool you need to assess the planned use you're going to make, and then you also know you have the flexibility in making that assessment. It sounds like fair use is this extraordinarily subjective interpretive thing that you have to engage in in order to use a work. And there's no clear line demarcated between fair use and infringement. So why isn't there a line? You know, it, it's true. We'd all, in a way, like to have a clear line that divides fair use from infringement so that we could know for sure that what we were doing was legal. Uh, but there is no line, at least not until a particular case goes before the courts and a judge goes through the four factors, which if you look at these cases, it's quite amazing. It's exactly what they do. 
and that's how they decide whether the use was fair or infringement. Um, and uh, you know, many people ask whether should the law be different, should the law be clearer. But we have seen that when the law gets more definitely nailed down, there's often a lot lost. It becomes less flexible, less well adjusted as technology changes. And so in that sense, it's to our advantage that we have what you're calling the subjectivity. I think there's a lot of power in the ambiguity that we have in fair use. Yeah, so another example um, are photos that get circulated around the internet all the time, these memes, you know, with the bold text over them, and the same picture gets used over and over again. Would you consider that fair use? Yeah, you know, it's one of the challenges in our digital world is that everything we touch pretty much is copyrighted. Every time we look at a work through our phone or a computer, we're copying it. Um, you don't even have to put your name on a photo or put a C in a circle or anything to make something copyrighted. You just put it in a tangible form like me taking a picture with my phone and it becomes an image that's copyrighted to me. There's something called an implied license where if you put something up on a web page or a social media site, it's understood that you're accepting that people will look at that and in doing so they're going to cache or make a copy on their computer or phone. But beyond that, sharing other people's pictures through social media sites is, is really no different than the other copying. Um, and as you guessed it, you have to go back to those same painful four factors to determine whether that use is fair. Um, so, you know, we don't really hear that often about copyright infringement suits related to internet memes. And that's most likely not because it's not an infringement necessarily, but because uh, people really appreciate the publicity for their work. They're happy their works are being shared. And for anyone to make a valid infringement case, you'd have to show that, likely have to show there was market harm your work having it be shared in that particular way. Um, now it's true not everyone is happy their works are shared. One of the very important court cases about photographs and fair use is one that involved Google's use of images in its search engine. So Google makes and displays copies of images in thumbnail size in order to carry out their search service. That use was determined through an infringement suit to be fair use. So this is another example of how incredibly important fair use is to the functioning of our culture and to allowing for innovation such as Google search engines. So Google relies on it as do all search engines that copy and or index and we're all relying on fair use and using those tools. Um, there are other cases too where it's been shown to be fair use if your copying results in a new purpose that has a social good. For example, making books that are in research libraries available to those with print disabilities through digitizing them. So this was confirmed to be a fair use in a case against a large digital library. So it's never a simple answer with, with fair use, but that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that fair use isn't working well for us. There's been a lot of discussion about copyright reform, how it's imminent or how, you know, it, it's in the works. And I'm wondering if you have thoughts on whether or not fair use might be changed with copyright reform, if and or when it happens. So that's a really big question. A lot of uh, ink has been spilled over this question. And what's uh, I've found in looking into this more and in living in sort of a, the copyright world for, for a number of years is that the, the flexible language has served us very well through massive technological change. And that efforts to nail it down, as I was alluding to earlier, 
often bring about laws that are too narrow and that go out of date too quickly, as we've seen in some other areas of copyright law, aside from the fair use statute. So to my mind, you know, here it is, Fair Use Week. We have a lot to celebrate with the short, simple, flexible piece of law that really is an essential part of our free culture. Could you give us some examples of things that you can't copyright? That's such a great question, and I try to bring this up with um, all our members of our MIT community because, uh, for example, uh, data, raw data cannot be copyrighted. Even if you spend an awful lot of time aggregating that data, it is not copyrightable. Maybe the form that you put the data in, like if you make a figure or something like that that describes the data, but the data itself can't be copyrighted. And this was shown in a big court case about, for example, phone books that just list addresses um, without any specific original arrangement um, cannot be copyrighted. The other very important thing, especially you know, to all of us, but certainly at a, at a university, is that ideas can't be copyrighted. Uh, ideas you know, may be expressed in, for example, an invention, and you might get a patent on them. Those are not protected by copyright. So that's another big area that we try to remind people about. And then there are certain things that um, are in what we call the public domain, which means they're not protected by copyright, because the U.S. government does not keep copyright over their work. So there's many areas that we, we do want to be very aware are free to us and usable for us you know, that are not protected by copyright. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, one of the aspects that's interesting about fair use is that what people do influences how courts see fair use. So in other words, by using fair use, we stretch it and we establish parameters for what fair use means in our culture. And that means that if people don't use fair use and they feel nervous about, about using other works because they're not sure, and as you point out, there's a subjectivity involved or certain ambiguity involved, um, that can mean that we shrink the whole notion of fair use because we're afraid to use anything without permission. And uh, so it's very important that we all become aware of this four-factor test and realize that it is part of our copyright law to very purposefully allow for uses for social good of other people's works and to take advantage of that and not to have the worry uh, be a completely chilling effect on um, our own creativity and innovation and use of other people's work. So that that is also a keystone of fair use is the practices that go on in various cultures and subdisciplines in terms of how people use works and make use of them in their own works. That's also an excellent point. So we should be getting out there and fairly using stuff. <laughs> yes, during Fair Use Week, take advantage and make fair use. <laughs> yeah, and so since you uh, put together some resources and you've been a great guest on our podcast, could you offer some resources or directions for people to look if they have more questions about fair use? Um, there is something called the Stanford Fair Use Project, which is a great place to go to get information about fair use. The University of Texas also has a wonderful website that leads you through thinking about fair use of various forms, whether video, image, text, music, and so forth. So those two universities in particular have a lot of great documentation to help you make your assessment about whether something is fair use. All right. Well, uh, I think that's all the questions I have for you today. 
I'd like to thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me and happy fair use week. Absolutely, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Radio Free Culture is produced by WFMU and the Free Music Archive and is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. Our theme song this week is The Spider-Man's Nano Loop by Uncle Bibby and can be found at freemusicarchive.org. 